The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. <laughs> That's a hard act to follow. <laughs> is, it, is this on? Can you hear? A little bit louder? A little bit louder. Is this better? Can you hear out there? Okay. All right. So, um, I was at home, and I was in the middle of a project, and I thought, oh, I just am going to go and meditate tonight, just to just break it. I'm just going to come over. And I was sitting back there very quietly, and Jim came and tapped me. He said, would you give the Dharma talk? <laughs> I said, what? <laughs> would I give the Dharma talk? So... Um, so obviously I didn't come prepared to give a Dharma talk, but I'm happy to um, sit up here and see what happens, and maybe we can uh, start a conversation if, if nothing else. But um, I thought what I would do is, I have come across a practice just recently um, that I also teach a, teach a compassion cultivation core uh, program. And um, I use this in, in my courses at Stanford and elsewhere where I teach the program. And uh, it was, it's, a, it's a little technique that I learned from one of my monastic teachers that's a very, very useful technique, um, not just for meditation, but a practice that you can do in your daily life throughout the day. It's, it's called, maybe some of you know it, pause and ask. Do any of you know this practice? Pause and ask. It's a wonderful practice. So the teacher, I'll credit him, um, a wonderful teacher, Ajahn Suchito, an English monk, and he teaches in the Thai forest tradition in the Ajahn Cha school. Anyway, uh, this is a, is a little practice that um, can take 10 seconds to one minute. And the instruction is not to try to practice it for longer than 10 seconds to one minute or longer than one minute, because what will happen is that the mind will shift away from the practice and go into another gear. And so <laughs> the practice is intended to actually slow us down so that we can meet the momentum of the life experience that we're in the midst of. So this is a practice that he suggests doing up to 10 times a day. When you wake up in the morning, after you brush your teeth, before you walk out the door, before you get out of your car, etc., etc. So different points where you want to just sort of check in with yourself. And this is a, a practice that's really wonderful to practice right at that um, moment of like the flashpoint of a, of a moment of uh, contention or conflict when you're charged, when you're about to 
fly off the handle or fall off your perch. Let's put it that way. That's a little bit nicer way to put it. So this practice is basically... You want to try it? Okay. All right. So I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. Now, this is a 10-second to one-minute thing, and it'll take me about five minutes to get you through it the first time. But it's a great little practice, and I'll see if I can remember it. I generally have it in front of me so I can read from the script, but um, I, I use it in my own practice. In fact, I was doing it when Jim tapped on me. <laughs> so, <clears throat> so it goes like this. Please close your eyes and find a posture that you're comfortable sitting in. <clears throat> and um, as you just are sitting there, I want you to stop whatever you're doing. If you're trying to meditate, stop trying to meditate. Just stop and relax. Just allow yourself to scan your body very, very quickly. And if there's any place of holding on or tension, just try to relax. Stop and relax. This is the first part of the exercise. The second part is in this state of relaxation and stopping, ask yourself, what is going on in this moment? What is happening for me now? You might notice that there's a train of thoughts that are occurring, or you might be noticing some emotions or moods. And if it's possible, simply name, put a name to it, busy, anxious, Worried, impatient, happy, don't know, whatever it is. Now, once again, stop and relax. And check in with yourself to see what it is that you've noticed without getting involved with what you've noticed, simply notice busyness, anxiousness, impatience, and without being involved with it, 
just try to stay with the actual experience for a few moments. And then stop and relax. And now you can open your eyes. So, <clears throat> what did you notice? Anyone? Do we have some mics? One thing I noticed after stopping and asking myself a question, mm -hmm. there was a train of answers, as if there were two people talking. There was a train of answers. Yes. I love it. Um, that's all I have. Yeah. And what? That's all I have to say. That's all you have to say. Okay. So you noticed thinking. You noticed thoughts. Okay. And what was happening with the thoughts. Okay. Other people? I, I, I want to comment on this, but I want to know if I hear what other people noticed. Uh, I was a little drowsy and actually started a little, like a little dream, like I was watching a Tarzan movie or something like that. Like you were watching a movie, kind of dreamy. Okay. Great. Could you put the name dreamy to your experience? Uh-huh. Yeah, dreamy. Dreamy. Over here? When you said stop, I noticed that I was trying to figure out what to do, and it was pleasurable to realize that I could stop figuring it out. Just stop. There was a pleasure it in my body. It was pleasurable to just stop. Physiological yeah. pleasure. Just, to, just yeah. to stop and let go. Okay. Anyone else? Um. So I noticed a, a leaning in, a because a leaning in to wanting the new practice. I was oh, wanting to. I'm want, a little bit hard oh, of hearing. I'm sorry. No, no. I I just wanted it. I wanted the new practice. You wanted I felt to do desire. Practice. It was like something sparkly that I wanted. Okay. So wanting, great, great. Okay. So so this is this is great because. This is a classic mindfulness practice, but it's, it's in a tiny little chunk. So we notice answering, dreamy, pleasure, <coughs> wanting, okay? So then you, the instruction is that you stop again, relax, and then as you contact answering or pleasure or desire or, or wanting or whatever it is, then, then it's to actually feel the physiologic somatic experience of what you're calling wanting or answering or dreamy or pleasure so that you learn to be with the actual experience 
before you put a word to it almost. And what happens is that our awareness, the focus of our awareness, shifts away from being identified with and enmeshed in the answering or the dreaminess or the pleasure or the wanting, being enmeshed in it, to actually seeing it, seeing it for what it is. So that the relationship that we have with the actual experience then is held in a more spacious way. Does that make sense? It's such a simple exercise, but it's so useful. It's such a powerful exercise because I hate to use, you know, it, it helps us be the witness because that's so overused in Buddhist circles. But in fact, that's what it does. It shifts the actual attention, the focus of the attention to a conscious awareness of what's happening. So that when you're dreamy, and you know that you're dreamy, because you know what dreaminess feels like, or answering feels like, or wanting feels like, you see, it's completely different than when you're seduced by wanting. Because then we just get carried away. And what happens is that we get knocked off of our perch. That's a nice way. <laughs> I like that's a kind of a Australian uh, phrase, I'm, I'm told. I've never heard it in America, but I've heard it from, from Aussies. You get knocked off your perch. You get knock, knocked off balance. So did any of you watch the Oscars last night? Did you watch the Oscars last night? Yeah, that, was a, that was a great moment when Warren Beatty was like he was looking at it and he knew that something wasn't right. You see, he knew that something wasn't right. And yet it was like he was in front of millions of people and he got knocked off his perch. And it wasn't like his fault. It was to he, got, he was given the wrong card. And it's so... Now, if he knew that he was knocked off his perch, if he actually knew that that was happening, maybe he would have done, handled it differently. Maybe he would have said, huh, I think you gave me the wrong card. <laughs> maybe not. But the point is that this is not like some mystical, myster mysterious thing. It happens to all of us every day in little and big ways. We, and what happens is that we lose connection with ourselves. And, and when that happens, there's a feeling of, of like vulnerability because we don't know what's going on. And so sometimes we feel very vulnerable and sometimes we feel a little bit vulnerable. But we're not quite present with what's happening. Does this make sense? Good. I don't think I'm the only one that experiences this. And, and, and then what happens is that we, we act in habitual ways. We react to our life rather than respond to our lives because we're not actually 
present with ourselves. We're disconnected, and we disconnect from one another in this very way. So that when we do that, it's very, very hard for us to empathize then with one another because we've lost, we've, we've lost that empathic connection because we're not in balance. And when we can't empathize with one another, then, <coughs> then all sorts of weird things begin to happen. But I, I watched like the post-Oscar when they were doing, and the, the guy from Moon, I, I don't remember his name, but he won the best supporting actor from Moonlight. He's from, he's from the Bay Area here. He was born in Oakland and raised in Hayward. Did you all know that? Yeah, he's a local boy. <coughs> but he said something so sweet. He said, you know, it was wonderful to find out that we won Best Picture, but I felt so badly for the other people who then didn't have the Oscar, especially after they went through the whole business of thanking everybody and their grandmother, <coughs> you see. And that was a real expression of empathy. He, he could kind of understand what they were going through. So, <coughs> so that quality of empathy is so important for us as human beings because it is what keeps us sort of on track with one another and able to live sort of harmoniously with one another. In fact, I, <clears throat> I just learned recently, I don't know why it's taken so long to find this out, but there are 10 regions in the human brain that actually, um, if not regulate, are affected by, by this quality of empathy. So nature, really thinks that empathy is important. We, we, we sort of know this, but uh, it's, it gets downplayed a little bit because we don't really understand what empathy is. And um, <clears throat> so, so I want to I want to talk a little bit about that about this, and then maybe we can have a little bit of conversation or some questions and answers. But uh, empathy is that quality that allows us to imagine that I also know what it feels like to be dreamy, or to know pleasure, or to know wanting. I can. I can empathize, I have that empathic understanding. Um, it's not that I understand what it feels like for you to want or for you to answer or for you to dream or for you to have pleasure, but, but that quality that I see in you is something that I can recognize in myself and therefore I see a similarity between us. And I'm willing to actually be with that. What happens when <coughs> people sort of go over the edge is that they, 
they sort of have like a, this emotional contagion that uh, becomes overwhelming, a little bit overwhelming. And, and it tips over into what's called empathic distress. And this is when you're no longer empathizing with the other person. You, you simply have taken on, you have taken on what you are perceiving in them and, and made it your own. So you've made it about yourself rather than about the other person. So you've lost the connection with the other person and you're in real peril of losing connection with yourself, especially if what you've taken on is something that's very agitated or, or charged. So, so with, with empathy, you know, sometimes an action is, is we'll, we'll recognize or we'll respond with some sort of action. You see, but sometimes <clears throat> empathy gets a bad name because the action isn't motivated by empathic connection. It's motiva- motivated by something that we want for ourselves or we're trying to do something that makes us look a certain way. Ha- have you ever done something just to look good? <laughs> yeah, of course, we all do that. That's very human. <clears throat> so, so, so empathy gets a bad name there. Empathy also gets a bad name from the fact that it's easier for us to empathize with certain people than it is with other people. So we're more likely to feel a connection with people that we are very familiar with, our friends, our family, our colleagues, people who we would identify as our tribe. But for people who we see as other, I I actually have a point here because I'm going to go to politics in a moment, but people that we see as other, you see, we, we... don't have that sense of safety and familiarity with them. So we objectify people and we dehumanize people. These are two two sort of classic categories. So i just give you an example. So we could objectify celebrities. You see, we don't see the people who said thank you for winning the picture. We just see them as celebrities. Or we objectify, you know, professions, politicians, surgeons, attorneys, etc., etc. Or we dehumanize people. And, and, and when we do that, we actually don't see them at all for, in, in many ways. And when that happens, we, we cannot feel empathy. We don't feel empathy. Does this make sense? Are you, now think about it 
for years. When you, you know, <clears throat> I shouldn't say it, but when people <clears throat> say Donald Trump is like this, Donald Trump is like that, you know, <clears throat> there's, there's a, a, a certain way that one says that objectifying Donald Trump, but then his children might say, oh, but you don't know, Dad. Dad's a good guy. You just really, if you only got to know him, it would be a different story. So they're not objectifying him, you see? And, but, but we are. Art. Uh, okay. <laughs> I am. I don't, I don't know about the rest of you, but... So, so <clears throat> what can happen is that... <clears throat> the connection that one feels then with another person is severed. It's, it's, you know, it's broken. This is a, this is, it's kind of a subtle thing, but it's not so subtle. It's like, if I can't feel connected to you because this empathic flow has been interrupted, you see, then I can default to my positions, to feeling that I'm right and you're wrong. Now, the fact is that you might be right and I might be wrong, or I might be right and you might be wrong, but at the level of connection, we're all human beings. And when I can't see the humanity, and another person, or when we can't see the humanity in another person, um, <clears throat> this othering, this separation happens, and it's painful. It can be very painful, especially when you become sensitive to it. And I want to <clears throat> make a, a point here that is, um, I, I want to make this point. I don't know what the point, uh, it, whether it's subtle or it's not subtle. But when we become sensitive to this quality of empathy within us, then it almost supersedes the idea of morality, of right and wrong, you see? Because, <clears throat> because to disconnect empathically from another person or another group of people feels so wrong. It feels like you just, you don't any longer have the stomach to do it when you become empathically sensitive. You just don't have the stomach to do it. It feels wrong. And it's not a question of you shouldn't do it because it's morally wrong, or you should do it because it's morally right. It's because at the level of your heart, you and the level of nature, you simply don't have the stomach to do violence in that way any longer. This is a very profound point. It's not my point. But this is true about empathy. And empathy is the first movement of compassion. Empathy, 
compassion arises out of empathy. They're two different qualities, but it arises out of empathy. And this quality of being connected with another person and having that connection broken in some way uh, <clears throat> and knowing that the problem between you and the other person is that you're no longer connected in, in this. Because we want to be connected. We're social animals. We want to be connected. And when that's broken and you know that that's broken, you see, <clears throat> it's this feeling that you're labeling <laughs> broken connection. But that actual experience, now I'm going to loop back to, to pause and ask. Because what happens is that you can then identify ah, bro broken connection is happening. And you, stay with, you can stay with that feeling of the broken connection for a few moments, maybe up to a minute, so that you begin to know what it's like to be with something that's difficult. Because normally when we have these difficult feelings, we, we bolt or we confront, or we deny, or we munch, or we distract ourselves in some way. We just, you know, that's what we normally do. And so when you can, this is why empathy is so important, because we can understand empathy. And with that, that taking our attention and turning it back onto empathy, we can get this sense of what it's like when we're out of sync with ourselves, when we've, you know, fallen off of our perch. And I had this experience happen with, with someone who I was very close with um, and I've known all my life. And, you know, <laughs> my political views were one way and their political views were another way. And <laughs> it was like, getting increasingly difficult. And I was thinking, oh, I will never go and visit this person again. <laughs> and this person is... And then I thought, oh, this hurts so much. What's going on? You see? <clears throat> and it's so easy to think that the trigger of the story was the problem. The, the problem was that my heart was aching. You see? And then I realized that that was the problem, and my heart was still aching, and I was still, you know, I still had my ideas about things. But I at least could identify what the source of the pain was. And I realized that this other person, my friend, my relative, in fact, did not have that same capacity. Something was wrong, but they didn't know what was wrong. They thought it was the story. They thought it was because we voted differently. You see? It was because we had lost the, this connection or something. And it just made me realize the importance of, of cultivating this quality of empathy because, um, because it will keep you true to your heart's deepest intention. It will tether you to what is 
what is good and of, of worthy, um, worthy of respect and worthy of honor within your own heart, within, you see? Um, it's, a, it's a quality that, um, uh, I won't say it's overrated, but there's a, there, there's a, there's a tendency to not give it enough um, airtime or to give it the kind of airtime that misunderstands what empathy actually is. It's not, it's not enmeshment. You don't get enmeshed or overwhelmed by, <clears throat> by what someone else is feeling. Because if you do, as I said earlier, you're out of sync with the other person, and in fact, you get lost within yourself. So <clears throat> maybe, maybe some old story of yours comes up and takes over, but you've actually lost this connection with yourself. And you know, this is really kind of tragic because when it happens, we cannot actually be kind to ourselves. We can't really be friends to ourselves at that state. We can't really offer ourselves self-compassion because we've gotten, we're out of sync. So, <clears throat> that's the bad news and the good news. The good news is that it doesn't make any difference how many times we mess up. It really doesn't make any difference how many times we mess up or how many times we, we break that connection. What makes a difference is that we don't just give up. That eventually, as human beings, we, we seem to have to s suffer our way to insight, so many of us, not everyone, but so many of us. <coughs> It's through going through this, these, this, the pain and the suffering over and over and over and over and over again until we finally begin to see it's not the story, it's the actual feeling. Because the feeling scares us. And so we're going to do everything in our power to make this bad feeling go away. Or at least that's what I do. I don't know about other people, but that, I do know about other people. I've talked <laughs> to a lot of other people. But this is what, what we do as human beings. And so, <clears throat> because we don't, because it's difficult to be with that which is unpleasant, we get lost in the story and we'll just go there over and over and over again. And what happens is that the mind begins to ruminate. And the more that we do that, the more we create a groove. You know, we activate neural synapses that create networks in the brain that go right directly to fight, flight, freeze. And the amygdala controls our behavior. So <clears throat> when we begin to just start to even want to change, to, to respond with kindness and, 
empathy and when we become sensitive to to wanting not to harm harm ourselves or harm other people either through words or actions or in any way you see the nature cooperates because then the parts of the the brain that are activated will will make it easier for us to act in that way so science is just validating what the, what these yogis and and meditators have been doing for thousands of years and that's <clears throat> the more you train the mind the more you discipline the mind the more clearly you're able to see what's going on in your mind and in your heart you create the conditions in which a new way of being in the world and a new way of relating to yourself and others begins to just gradually take shape and you know <clears throat> i've been practicing for quite a long time now and <clears throat> not as long as maybe some people in the room but for qu- quite a long time and <clears throat> boy I'm a slow learner. I've had to really suffer my way through things. But learning to be a friend to yourself and learning to meet your experience whether it's on the cushion or in your daily life in a kind and friendly and generous way makes all the difference in the world. So it's sometimes as simple as just breaking the momentum of this energy that's carrying us from one event to another repeatedly over and over and over again with a simple pause and ask stop and relax just stop whatever you're doing just stop for 10 seconds stop see <clears throat> when i learned this practice <laughs> I thought, oh that sounds interesting so then I had so when I reach for the 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 clicker to turn the television on the remote control it's like uh, so I stand there and I pause and I stop and then I feel uh, how much I want to turn that thing on the television on and or the next time you go to the refrigerator just pause or when you turn your car off before you get out of your car to go into your office or to go to work pause for 1 minute and see how difficult it is to just be with the momentum of that energy that's carrying us into becoming 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 and honestly if you're able to do that you might be able to like our friend over here just let go and feel the pleasure of just relaxing just for a moment or two so my wish for all of us is that we take ajahn suchito's training and put it to good use and um i hope that this was Okay for a off the cuff <laughs> talk and we have just a few minutes if anyone has any questions or comments
Uh, I wanted to see if I got this right. That uh, at some point it sounded like you were saying, uh, even if we get through the stories around something, uh, when we're feeling empathy, uh, and we're feeling, say, somebody else's pain, we're also breaking a connection if we then try to get rid of that pain that we're feeling rather than being with the other person. Well, I think it's natural for us not to want to be in pain. But if we're witnessing another person being in pain and we take that on to the degree that we are no longer connected to them because we're feeling so agitated within ourselves, then that con empathic connection has been breached. You see? And then you can look in, in your, with a little bit of practice and sensitivity, then you can see within yourself whether or not you're actually connected to yourself or you've been seduced by whatever it is that you've taken on and, and now you're sort of lost in it. See, it's like, <clears throat> I use this example a lot. <clears throat> when we're meditating and the mind wanders and we're in a daydream, we're just lost. We're just daydreaming, right? You're lost in a daydream. But when you know that you're daydreaming, when you're meditating and then you suddenly know that you're daydreaming, you might be daydreaming, but the knowing of the daydreaming is the actual seeing, seeing what's happening. So that's kind of the witnessing. And at that point, the relationship to the daydream shifts and you're no longer identified with the daydream. It's just daydreaming is happening. It's sort of, it's, it's a mindfulness practice, but that's how it, and you have to do it over and over and over again before that begins to make sense. And, and, and then it's like getting comfortable with the actual feeling, see, because when you're sort of lost in a daydream, you're trying to get unlost. And so you miss the fact that you're lost and you're trying to get unlost. Or we miss the fact, or I miss the fact. Does that make sense? Does that help? Someone here had a question. And this will be the last question. <laughs> That's okay. I think well, we have to. Um, so just to... Um, so the practice is stopping, relaxing, noticing. But then you said to... Stop and relax. And, and, and in this relaxed state, you will begin, maybe, you'll begin to notice your thinking or your feeling or you're having a mood or something will be going on. And when you notice that, can you put a, a name to it? You might not, you know, you might be able to say impatient or irritable or something like that or it might be that you don't know what's going on you're just uncertain so then you say uncertain or don't know that that's certainly a quality that we all know and then you just stop again and and relax and then <clears throat> as that question reveals the uncertainty rather than trying to like figure it out or stop it or do anything you just be with that experience 
directly. You just let that experience be whatever it is without getting in the way, but only for a short time because the mind will quickly switch gears. It doesn't want to be with what it doesn't want to be with, you see? And so what we're learning to do is to just recognize what's actually happening. Lost, uncertain, you know, off off balance, and this is what it's like, rather than to be pulled along. So the connection with empathy is that through those experiences we you can learn to empathize li- with ourselves and then we can have empathy for others. Well, and this is a way that you can recognize whether you're, being em- whether you're connected to empathy. Empathy isn't something that you have to figure out. You know, <clears throat> empathy happens when you witness something, when you see something, when you feel you know, uh, if you're in a room and everybody is grumpy, it doesn't take a genius to figure out grumpiness is going on. When you're in a room and everyone's happy, it's the same thing. It's, you know, we, these mirror neurons, uh, we pick up from one another. But, <clears throat> but this way of, of, of just... With mindfulness, you know whether you're being empathic or not, and you know whether you're connected or not connected. So <clears throat> I thank you all for your, <laughs> your kind attention, and uh, thank you for your questions. And if anyone has any other questions, uh, I'll just hang out a little bit. And so. <clears throat>